I want you to imagine that your mind is a vast storage space, okay? Got, got the picture in your mind? It's a vast storage space. There's, it's full of mental furniture, okay? There's some neatly arranged areas. Then there's some very hectic piles of stuff, right? A lot of stuff you can't seem to remember ever having put in there in the first place, right? I don't remember storing this here. It's almost like there are entrances to this storage space that uh, you didn't realize were there. <laughs> uh, come to think of it, you know, this storage space, it's really well lit up front, but as you get further back, it's kind of dark. I'm not sure what's back there. So the idea we're going to work today is that sometimes prayer is realizing there are more entrances than you thought to the vast storage space of your mind, that somehow God is there, might be shining a flashlight onto something specific or moving around the furniture there so that you take notice. We're going to work that image today. Uh, back in the end of July, we took a personal inventory here uh, during a Sunday service at Brownline Church, and we, it's called Spiritual Pathways. Um, this was meant to expand our imagination of ways prayers can look, uh, way, especially if you grew up in uh, a very specific religious setting. Perhaps you were taught one way to pray. Uh, this is meant to kind of blow open the doors to that. There are lots of different ways that we might pray. Uh, we can learn from different traditions or just, you know, different personality types and, and learn ways that work for us in prayer. Um, if you did not uh, take that inventory with us, we've got this QR code up on the screen. You can follow that uh, to our website. Uh, there's also still some paper copies of this, so uh, if you want one just in paper, grab me after service and I'll give it to you. Uh, we have an adult's version and a kid's version that we recommend for kids at least 10 years old. Uh, this is my last uh, message building on the uh, prayer suggestion, a few of the prayer suggestions that are in the second half of that resource. We recommend all sorts of things based on which pathway uh, makes most sense to you. And, uh, and so I've, I uh, taught on a couple in August, and we're doing one last one this week um, before closing up uh, this uh, series of messages. Before we go uh, too much further into what I want to talk about this week, though, I wonder how you relate to this thought experiment that we started with. Is it easy to imagine your mind as a vast storage space with entrances you didn't know about. Is it easy or does that feel like, uh-uh? Does that, does that feel unexpected? Does it feel hard? Uh, this is not the default way of conceiving of how our minds work in the modern world, is it? It is not. Our minds are not vast and mysterious. Our minds are secured and locked down with cameras sweeping every corner, right? Nothing goes in and nothing goes out without me knowing. We certainly wouldn't let anyone in with a flashlight who wants to move things around. That would be extremely inconvenient, right? I mean, some of it is a mess, but it's our mess, right? It's an organized mess. We, we, we consider ourselves, in, in general, in total control of our mental faculties, right? Especially uh, dominant Euro-American white settings, like we read self-help books that teach us to be the masters of our own domain, right? But beyond just dominant culture folks, like this is across the board in the modern West in, in which our minds are like buffered from the rest of the world. 
We all have the right to self-define who we are and what we're about for ourselves. Our mental furniture is private. Keep out. Right? We're all buffered from the rest of the world. Others might mess things up or come with too many opinions or not respect my individuality, right? At the same time, though, so all while that's true, we do in our culture sometimes question that default setting. Like we are increasingly drawn to stories that depict mental health struggles in really relatable ways, rather than those characters being like abnormal or stereotypes. So I'm thinking of two of my favorites in the last couple of years is Ted Lasso and The Bear. Anybody Ted Lasso or The Bear fans? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, oh, that's what a lot of people are watching, right? They're so compassionate about how none of us should have to feel the pressure to hold our minds together on our own, right? They're very compassionate. There's a soft heart at the core of those shows. Even The Bear, which is very abrasive, and some of the episodes are like, oh my God, I just need to go to sleep because that was too hard. But it's so compassionate at the same time. It's, it's telling you, you do not have to carry all, you don't have to lock down your mind and be the sole person who's keeping it together, right? Even in superhero content, like the, the, uh, the MCU's Moon Knight, which I found like really beautiful at times. It's a superhero show, but it's really beautiful at times because it has that same sort of message, compassionate about the idea that maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're, you are not the sole uh, person who has to hold together your entire mind. So we modern people, we're a little bit mixed up. We, we want to maintain this image of like lockdown, keep out, personal control over our inner worlds, especially when we're defended, right? We want to maintain that image. But when we let our guard down, we often feel a call away from that, away from like closed self-sufficiency. It would be kind of nice to let somebody in and see what they think. Practices like therapy and counseling becoming more and more normalized uh, in our culture are helping us make great progress in this. We're, we're really, we're admitting this more and more, and that's wonderful. And I think we need the same sort of normalization spiritually. <clears throat> spiritually. So not just when it comes to letting other people into our usually locked down minds, therapists, friends, community, family, but letting enter the possibility of divine connection, input from a God of love, a flashlight shining our attention on something specific, or God moving around a bit of furniture. So we like take note, wait, that's in a different spot. What am I supposed to pay attention to here? So this would be aligned with a more ancient way of understanding ourselves and our minds. It's not very modern, but it's really beautifully captured all over the Bible. Uh, some of my favorite scriptures, uh, for example, are in the Psalms, in which the psalmist is talking to their own soul, asking questions of it, exploring it, encouraging it. I, I love that we have to talk to our own souls. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Why, why are you so, like, I'm confused. I can't even figure it out. Our soul can be wayward. It can be contradictory. It can be confusing and unwieldy. We need to learn about them. We don't automatically know what's best for ourselves. I'm drawn to that. Or there's the, the great longing expressed by the prophet Joel, uh, reading from chapter two. Uh, it says, I, God, will pour out my spirit on all people in those days. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Uh, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. 
the, the prophet here longs for a day when God's spirit would feel so near that everyone feels they could hear God speak. And that hits modern people, I think, as equal parts inconvenient because our desire is for privacy, but also kind of captivating, right? Because modern life feels soulless and empty so often. Like, oh my God, God can speak to me? Like, we're, we're drawn to it at the same time we feel allergic to it. Or in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he is in you. I will not leave you orphaned. John and his gospel's audience, I think, knew instinctively that a good life would require regular, ongoing input. Like, it's great if Jesus shows us what God is really like, but what do we do now that Jesus is gone? And so Jesus promises not just a model, but a spirit. We modern people actually kind of prefer the opposite, like regular ongoing input sounds awfully inconvenient and aggressive to my sense of individuality, right? So letting someone in to shine a flashlight and mess around with my piles, no thank you, you stay out. Could you, know, could you just give us a book to memorize? Interestingly, that's exactly what many modern people of faith have tried to squeeze the Bible into. It's like you know, a book that we could just memorize and then get it right. And yet, I don't know, that just seems to end up hollow. It doesn't quite lead us to the life we wanted. Yet, despite the inconvenience, I think the prospect of a communicative God is really captivating. So God doesn't just like lay out an ethical finish line and say like, here's this awesome dude Jesus, be like him, good luck humanity. Drop the mic, I'm out, says God, right? It's not that way. Jesus does not leave us orphaned, he says. The spirit of truth is with us, abiding in us. This idea that we can, we can in our minds, there's, oh, there's, there's guidance here. Such a possibility calls to us. God with us. God, our fellow experiencer in all things, longing to join us in our minds, moving around the furniture, shining a flashlight to lure us, encourage us, speak to us. Perhaps our minds are not meant to be so private and locked down and isolated. Perhaps our minds are furnished for connection. Like that's the whole point, to get you outside of yourself. And this is listening prayer, what I want to talk about today. In the modern world, when we question this private, secured, lockdown mental space, when we question that default, whether it's Ted Lasso or a Sunday sermon or an experience you can't explain, whatever it is, when we question that, I think we are coming around to rich wisdom from the past about how our minds actually work. They work best with outside input, communally and spiritually. So one of my most memorable uh, personal experiences of this kind of thing happening, this type of listening prayer, as I'll instruct us on in a moment, is when I was in school at DePaul University, I was in one of my favorite classes. It was always like really engaged. We had a great teacher. We, it was like an encouraging class. It wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't one of those like ugly pictures of a college course where like everybody's, it's like a, a, a knowledge fight, you know, who's smartest. It was, it was really encouraging. Like we, I, I enjoyed discussion in that class. And so one day I'm in class and it's just as encouraging as ever. But 
I was distracted because my mind kept circling back over and over and over again to focus on this guy who sat a little bit in front of me, off to the left. And I kept on having this thought, as I, I knew him a little bit, I kept on having this thought like, he's such a good dude. Dude, <laughs> do you, do you know? oh man, that guy, he's such a good dude. Like, he, I don't even think he knows. I don't think he knows. He is such a good dude. <laughs> that's, uh, I'm, I'm joking, but like, that's the, that's the, I could not get it out of my head. It's just playing on a, man, such a good dude. <laughs> and it's a nice thought, right, to have about somebody. Like, wow, yeah, you, you're, that's great. The, I'm, I'm really glad that you were thinking so kindly about that. But this was inconvenient. It persisted. It was distracting. It was like, and it, it's, it's also kind of like encouraged me toward like connection with somebody who I kind of know, but like I don't really know him that well beyond just like class discussion. So by this time in my life, I'm a praying person. So quietly in my mind, I, like class discussion is still going on. So I'm just, I'm just praying in, in the back of my mind. And I'm relaying back to God like these strangely persistent thoughts about like encouraging like oh, this guy is a really good dude. Uh, and, and I feel like God says to me in that moment, that's how I feel about this guy. And I'm wanting you to share in that. That was a cool experience. I mean, what a gift, right? Like, that's a gift to, like, it's amazing if I were to share an encouragement with somebody else, right? Which I've learned to do, and even when it's awkward, because that's also incredibly connecting. But also, like, what a gift to my spirit. For, for me to have a sense of, like, in a moment, God was saying to me, I am letting you share in my joy over another human being. You're just getting to revel in the same way that I view another person. You're going to sit in that and enjoy it, and it's a little bit distracting because it's at an inconvenient time, but doesn't that feel wonderful to think with that much love and appreciation for someone that you hardly even know? Doesn't that feel wonderful? And it did. It did feel wonderful. I have this experience regularly now, a somewhat inexplicable fond regard, right? A more encouraging than usual thought towards someone around me. Just last Sunday here at church, I had it again as I'm talking with somebody of just like this like rising up of like, man, this is just, I, I think this person is excellent and wonderful. Wow, what, a, what an amazing person. I hope they know that. I don't know if they know that. I hope they know that. I wonder if you have these kind of experiences too, that inexplicable fond regard. Has that ever happened to you? Where did that come from? Why is it so persistent? They often don't feel very spiritual. We say to ourselves like, this is not, this is not listening. I, me I mentioned it like this listening prayer. This is not listening. I'm just thinking my own thoughts. My mind is private. I'm not listening to anything, right? There's no one in here. I know everything that's going on in all those piles. But it just sticks around. And as a result, we, I don't know, we, maybe because we don't give it much weight, we just, we, we, don't really, we don't really act on these, we don't really think much of them. I'm really helped by, uh, there's a writer on spirituality, Dallas Willard, who uh, I'll put a quote up on the screen here for us because I really like it. He says, God comes to us precisely in and through our own thoughts, perceptions, and experiences. God can approach our conscious life only through them, for they are the substance of our lives. I really like this. I really like we hear God through our own thoughts. And so the question of like, well, it's, it, it's not spiritual experience. Like, I'm, I'm not like hearing God. I'm just listening to my own thoughts. And this 
this idea from Dallas Willard kind of makes us go like, well, actually it's both. <laughs> like, it's not one or the other. That's exactly how God could speak to us if there is a God, is through our own thoughts. So maybe it's not one or the other. One of the best things that ever happened to me, I think, was ending up in a church setting that took really seriously this idea of prayer, this listening prayer. So I grew up, I think, a classic example of this modern mindset that we're talking about, locked down, private, self-sufficiency focused. I'm, I'm not, you know, if there is a God, I'm, I certainly don't think God has access to my mind. But this church taught people how to pay attention to those persisting thoughts, those, those inexplicable fond regards that, that just get stuck in our heads. It taught people how to pay attention to those things, to presume that that might be God pulling us into connection if we, would, if we would follow the thread, that God might be there in our minds through an entrance we don't know about, shining a flashlight. And this church now also had a very particular culture in terms of how people were formed to experience that or share about those things, which was very consistent with its more charismatic or Pentecostal culture. And honestly, that culture did not always feel like home to me. But that's okay, because what, was, what I learned in that is not so much a form of how this has to look, but a function of like, oh, that can happen. It's not about form, it's about function. It, it's, it's about opening up my locked up mind so that I can receive a gift of connection more often rather than just live my life kind of isolated, private, stuck to my own inside, my, my own man, mind palace. I'm forever grateful about what this church taught me about this idea of listening prayer, God speaking through my own thoughts to pull me into connection. So let me end with some instruction that has worked for me, even though I don't practice this the same way that I originally learned it. Um, I want to, I if this is something that is standing out to you, the whole point of these last few messages has been to uh, talk about different styles of prayer that some of us will be attached to and others will be like, cool, I'm glad that other people are attached to that. I'm not attached to that one. So it's totally fine if this is not one that you're gravitating toward because we have lots of other ways that we can pray and connect with God. But if this is one that you want to lean into or you want to build some muscle memory in, let me give some basic instructions. The first thing that we're doing is we're paying attention to those persisting, encouraging thoughts. When those things float through your brain, when the, you know, like, God, I just cannot explain why I'm so focused on that person. Like, it, this happened with, uh, to me with a, with a barista once, you know, like, the guy who, who I order coffee from. It's just like, I don't know this guy at all, but man, he just feels, like, so full of joy, and I want to make his day. I felt like I wanted to make this guy's day of, like, like, I, I was extra, you know, excited with my thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I don't know if I made his day. But that, that's another one of those moments of, like, I'm just, I, I'm paying attention to those. Maybe those are not just random passing thoughts. Maybe that might be God trying to draw me into connection. You're paying attention to them. And then, number two, we're going to ascribe those to God. And we're going to welcome the ways that calls us to, to like, you know, to long to admit, like, oh, yeah, my mind is not just so self-sufficiency focused. It's unsustainable for me to just be locked down and private and just to myself. Ascribing it to God. God might be there with me in my mind. And then, if we feel comfortable, we can act on them. We can encourage that person. We can, you know, roll with the idea of like, yeah, be extra nice to the barista. They probably don't get that many people being nice to them. We can act on those things that we feel. We can even voice that sense of, man, I just... I, 
I just think you're a really good dude, and I'm not sure you know that. And you, it, it, it's, it, it's, really, it's really freeing when we do that. I'll tell you, when people do this regularly, when they act on the ideas of like, that they have a fond regard for someone, they can't even quite explain where it comes from, and then you act on it, when you do that in the context of a community, and not just with romantic partners, okay? So we're, we're saying beautiful, kind, loving, human things to another person being, not just with our, our romantic partners, but with another person. When that happens in community, it is so amazing. It's so amazing. Friendships are built. Intimacy is deepened. Bonds are forged. It's so amazing when we do that. When people do this regularly in community, it is also so Awkward. <laughs> Did you know that? God, it is awkward sometimes. Like for me to go up to this dude that I that like sits, you know, kind of in front of me and just be like, hey, uh, not sure if if you like feel this way, but I just I just wanted you to know I think you're a great guy. And I don't know if you feel that about yourself, but I think you're great. It was incredibly awkward to do that. I'm not gonna pretend. Incredibly awkward. But do you know what? Awkwardness is bite or bark is worse than its bite. Let me say that one more time. Awkwardness is bark is worse than its bite. We can get through awkwardness. It's not that bad. In fact, it's really beautiful to push through that and find life-giving, meaningful connection with another human being on the other end. It's only awkward because we modern people have this locked-down mindset, right? You know, we, we just, we're, we're a little bit stunted in the connection department compared to other ages. In order to experience connection with God, we kind of have to push through the awkwardness of like, oh, is my mind private? Or like, is there God in there with me? We have to push through that, right? In order to experience connection with other human beings, we have to push through the awkwardness of saying something earnest and possibly even a little sentimental to another person. And that makes us feel, oh, awkward because I'm cool, I'm cynical. But what awkwardness is, Bark is worse than its bite. It's really not that bad, right? It's amazing to feel connection with another human being. It's amazing to push through cynicism. I can say, having given 15 plus years to my life now of choosing to push through awkwardness, it is so worth it. There, there is, often behind that awkwardness, there is beautiful, sometimes heartbreaking, but beautiful connection when we push through that. And so I cannot recommend it more. Couple more things just on the instruction piece, but uh, of like if you're drawn to this, I want. I also have a do don't list when it comes to listening prayer that I'll put up on the screen here for us. So do ascribe to God thoughts that feel like encouragement, wisdom, and humility. Don't ascribe to God thoughts that feel like accusation, hot takes, or shame. Okay. Our minds are going to have lots of accusation and hot takes and shame, unavoidably. Like, those are always going to be floating through our brains. And it's very tempting in a lot of religious settings to ascribe divine significance to those things because they shout louder than encouragement and wisdom and, hum and humility, which are very gentle, right? And so we want to, yeah, I mean, like, it, perhaps some of you have spent time in religious settings that were really drawn to the things that I have on my don't list because they shout so loudly. They feel really exciting. Like, what a rush, right? God is so alive. Like, you can, you can feel like that when there's something really loud. Right? Just look how blazing hot that take was, right? 
How about, how, about how, you know, like I just, I just, uh, just like how, you know, so-and-so is in some sort of secret sin and I just unveiled it, right? Like blazing hot takes. Those are the kind of things that if you've been in those sorts of settings, you've seen how painful those can be when people treat prayer sort of like magic and, and operate with these ways of like, oh, you know, loudest voice wins or our most hot takey hot take wins. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So without putting some guardrails in, some do-don't lists, um, an embrace of listening prayer is kind of playing with fire because it can start to sound like the sort of enchanted anti-science world that hopefully many of us have left behind, uh, or it can leave us with the sort of like fiery cult-like leader-looking God, which I'm not interested in following. So uh, with guardrails, I think that are, you know, that are thoughtfully mined from experience and from our traditions and from our communities, we get to know a true God of love who very much is, is worthy of worship. And I think the way that we see that is in kind encouragement rather than anxiety-provoking accusation. It is in earned wisdom rather than a cheap hot take. And it's in welcome invitation into like humility. Like to be invited into humility is a welcome invitation. Whereas to be shamed to perform better, that doesn't feel good to my spirit. And no one grows through that. I think of the, the Hebrew Bible has this story of uh, the prophet Elijah listening for God in a cave. Perhaps you're familiar. And it says there was a great wind, but God was not in the wind. And there was a great earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And there was a great fire, but God was not in the fire. Where does Elijah hear God's voice? It's in a still, small voice. So encouragement and wisdom and humility are gentle and not loud like a wind or a fire or an earthquake. They are still small voices. That's where we hear God. Lastly, one bit of instruction I'll leave us with that won't apply to everyone, but it might apply to a few of us in the room. So, um, in, in the mid-1990s, psychologist Elaine Aaron and her husband Arthur began developing a theory called uh, highly sensitive people. Has anyone ever heard of HSP before? Yeah? So we've heard a couple of hands. In the, so it's like this. They measured uh, sensory processing sensitivity. And um, uh, HSPs, highly sensitive people, are said to have a greater depth of information processing, like they, they, can, they, they can see and handle more. There's a greater awareness of environmental subtleties for HSPs, and they, experience, they tend to experience more empathy for other people's feelings and situations, and therefore, here's the key part I want to tell us, have an increased susceptibility to overstimulation, okay? HSPs. Uh, according to Aaron, uh, she says HSPs make up 15 to 20% of the population. Uh, I, I bring this up because it, if this is a thing, and there's a, a fair amount of peer review to suggest that HSPs are a thing, there's a major overlap here with a person's spiritual life, and particularly the kind of prayer that I think we're talking about today, listening prayer. I think there's overlap with this idea of being an HSP and your, how naturally you fall into something like listening prayer especially that experiences more empathy and more susceptible to overstimulation. What, uh, one pastor I know um, was very compelled uh, by this idea and used the term thin membrane to describe this on spiritual terms. Like you're, some people have a thinner membrane between their minds and the rest of the world. 
It's just like, it's a little bit more porous. Things pass through. And, and so what that means, like they don't, they don't need the bear or Ted Lasso to call them away from this idea that like your mind is locked down. They're just like, yes, oh my gosh, I feel overwhelmed with feelings all the time. And I don't even always think they're mine. I wonder if that's anybody in this room. Again, if, if Aaron is right, it's like 15 to 20% of the population. Um, so I think that these are the same sorts of people that can more readily sense God speaking to them through their own thoughts and feelings. I think that that would make sense, that there's some overlap there. And uh, what that means is there is some caution there because you can also start to over-identify with this. It can become debilitating. It can be hard to tell, like, where do my feelings end and another person's feelings begin? And that can feel like a lot if you are one of these thin membrane people. Or, even worse, it can start to become ego-inflating, which is, I think, how we end up with cults of personality, right? Or anti-science practices in the church of, like, God said, thus saith the Lord, you know, and, and then you drop in what you think God said, and everybody is supposed to follow you because you're a strong personality or you're louder than everybody else. You know, that, so there's some caution if you feel like you might be an HSP, again, possibly 15, 20% of the population. Um, an over-reliance on this kind of prayer practice, can, an over-identification on it, um, we don't want it to become debilitating for anybody. So if that's the case, like if, if that can be something, perhaps other prayer practices that we've talked about. This, a couple weeks ago, we talked about getting behind the waterfall, which is a retreating from life rather than trying to find God in the midst of life as our other two prayer practices that we've talked about have been. Perhaps that is a useful thing if we start to become debilitated and overwhelmed by the idea that we might be, we might feel like we're hearing things constantly and it's too much. Uh, so there's, there, there's some, some push and some pull in all of these prayer practices and that's why we wanted to talk about many over the course of this last month. All right, so despite the way that most of us so easily feel like we have that private conception of our mind, long, like locked down, separate, isolated from others, we at the same time long for connection. And I wonder if you feel that. I wonder if you, like me, feel that, especially when you're watching really good television. More than just we need this for our own sakes, I think the world needs this. Our world needs people who are, don't have locked down minds, but are open to the possibility of input from community and spiritually to be pulled outside of ourselves. I don't think that locked down minds are likely to be the ones who can choose solidarity with the poor rather than the rich so that a livable wage can be one for everyone, right? That's an important thing to think about on Labor Day weekend. Is it gonna be locked down minds that are the most creative in moving our nation forward? Is it gonna be people who get pulled outside of themselves and see especially middle-class people like those that mostly make up our church, are we going to choose solidarity with the working class if, we're, if our minds are totally private and locked down? I think we are much more likely to get pulled outside of ourselves if we are open to the possibility of being guided, if we're open to the possibility of our minds not being solely ours to manage on our own. Lockdown minds are not going to be the ones who can see suffering in the person next to us because we're so focused on what's going on in our world. We can't even intuit that, oh crap, did something happen to you? Are you okay? Lockdown minds are not gonna be the ones who can do that. It's open minds that can do that. Lockdown minds are not gonna be the ones who can forgive, who can choose to own up to their contribution in problems. 
It is open minds that can do that. And lockdown minds are not gonna be the ones who can imagine the most creative and wise solutions to our deepest, most violent conflicts in the world. It is minds that pursue humility and openness and love, open to those things entering in through entrances we did, maybe didn't even realize were there to guide us, to speak to us and through us to the rest of the world. And that is what I want us to consider the possibility of this week, okay? Let me pray for us in that space. That sound good? Good, all right. If you would, get comfortable with me in your seats. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm just looking in the in the chat, and I just want to highlight, you know, that this this is probably going on in a lot of your minds right now, right? Yeah, you need to share that, right? That's good. Share that with me, so I can, I, we can connect, and I can feel good about myself. Thank you for that, Trey. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, let me pray. <clears throat> God, we sit here. Each week as we pray and we just open ourselves to that possibility that there can be some, some movement back and forth between where our minds end and you, that you can speak through our thoughts, that you can encourage us, that you can encourage another person, that you can use us to brighten somebody's day, that you can use us to do more than brighten somebody's day. You can use us to be with somebody in suffering and that we can live a life that is less pressured to hold ourselves together on our own and more like drawn into, drawn into meaningful encounter with other human beings. We can live a life that is drawn into meaningful encounter with a God of love that sees us, that does not shame us, that does not accuse us, but that encourages us and guides us with wisdom. All of that is available to us as we open ourselves as best we can, as much as we can, to believe that there might be some entrances to our mind that we don't know about. We welcome that right now, God, believing that you will not lead us astray, that we're not in a scary or like unsafe place right now, that if we do this in community and with, with safeguards in place, that we will not be led into uh, uh, something that we can't handle or led into something that's negative or cult-like. God, you are, you, you, there is a real spirit of truth, as we read from Jesus, that can guide us toward love and toward sanity and toward connection with other people and with our wider world that can move us forward in the most persistent conflicts and struggles that we face interpersonally, but also globally. You are with us and longing to speak to us, but it is difficult for us. To, like, even as we do this, we, the skeptic comes in and challenges, is this real? Am I just thinking my own thoughts? And so remind us now as we do that, God, the only way you can speak to us is through our own thoughts. We welcome that, like, turn down the dial anxiety. We welcome that to just lead us into something more, more beautiful than the soulless day in, day out of get up, brush your teeth, go to work, take care of your kids or your dog, and then go to sleep and do it again. 
Guide us into something better than that, God. By your love and your presence in each of our minds, we welcome that and we open ourselves up to that. Hold us in this space as long as we're able to for the rest of today. Hold us in this space for as long as we're able to for the rest of this week and then give us gentle reminders as the week goes on that you are there with us, speaking to us, nudging us toward connection. We are not meant to be isolated and private and on our own. We are meant to live in interaction with other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.